Well, good morning, Christ Hold Fast friends. Good to be back with you here today on uh, this Tuesday, June 19th. Uh, I missed last week with you. I was actually in Fergus Falls for my denomination's annual convention, uh, Fergus Falls, Minnesota. I was uh, hanging out with Dan Price. We actually recorded an episode of 30 Minutes in the New Testament there and had a grand old time. Uh, but I was not able to get on here live with you uh, last week and talk about a very important topic, which is uh, something that I had actually promised to go over the previous week, and that is uh, baptism being a means by which God delivers the goods. Baptism being a means by which God saves. Uh, I don't think that there are many statements that I could make that would be more controversial than that in many cases, um, and uh, and yet our passage does have those precise words in First Peter three verses eighteen through twenty-two. Uh, let me read it, and then I'll explain what I'm going to try to do today to share with you how we came to these views. Good morning, Barb. So, verse eighteen: For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Uh, incidentally, isn't that just great exchange language? It's just wonderful. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, corresponds to this flood, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. End of reading. So, let me begin by saying I am not trying to be argumentative. I am not trying to pick a fight with people that have a different view on baptism. I realize that many people who will view this video will have, uh, even after I'm done here today, many questions and will have uh, differing ideas about baptism. But I do want to um, deal with the text as it is. I do want to share with you how I came to be able to affirm the words baptism saves. How could I say that? And where was I coming from myself? Um, frankly, for me, there was nothing, nothing more unsettling about the church God had landed me in as a young adult which happened to be a Lutheran church. I, I didn't go there because I was looking for Lutheranism. It just happened to be a Lutheran church that God had brought me into through a youth group there. But there was nothing that was more unsettling than this confession that they insisted on that baptism saved a person. And so I, uh, with my youth pastor who had become very close to me, I kicked against the goads as much as I could. I questioned, I debated, I fought, I punched, I kung fu'd against it. And, uh, and yet he just patiently sort of walked me through it. And, you know, as a kid raised primarily in big, more non-denominational churches, 
the one thing I absolutely knew, and it was proclaimed very loudly with much authority, was in fact baptism does not save. I mean, I had heard this so much in churches growing up that when I came to this church and they were saying baptism does save, it was a complete, you know, uh, my mind was blown a little bit. And so I'm sitting under this Lutheran youth pastor, and he's contradicting everything I had heard before about baptism. And I'm saying things like, no, 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 you're wrong. People get saved by bowing the knee at an altar. That's what I experienced. That's what I knew. That's where you got saved. You went and said a prayer down at the altar. And he said, well, I don't know, Eric. I mean, can you show me an example from Scripture of such an altar call? And I remember saying to him, well, yeah, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls and thousands are saved. And he said, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good, great passage. Let's look at that together. I don't think there's an altar call there, but there are these words. And then he read verse 36 through 41. Peter is preaching. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Well, that was the first time that some, something in my worldview about baptism was challenged in a way that I could kind of clearly see. In this passage, as people come to Peter looking to figure out what to do in response to this word that has cut them to the heart, Peter's first uh, response back to them is be baptized. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Why? So that they can receive the very thing they need to be saved, the forgiveness of sins. He does not bring them down to the altar to repeat a prayer after him. Instead, he says, let's get some water, and proclaim God's word. Now, don't hear this as me, um, you know, sort of diminishing what God has done through various altar calls throughout history. My own father was, uh, counts that as the moment that he was converted to Christianity at an altar call um, in the 70s. So I don't, have, I don't have an issue per se with the idea of having people come down and praying with you. I, I really don't. I don't think that it's, it's always bad or anything like that. But it's just to say that the altar call is not a, it's not a particularly biblical thing. It's just true. There's not a, there are not altar calls. That actually is a fairly late invention. It, it basically goes back to Charles Finney and, and, uh, and we could spend the whole time talking about old Chuck Finney, but I'm not going to today because that's a whole other rabbit trail. So, so my anyway, my evangelical armor is starting to show cracks at, after I'm talking to my youth pastor, but I'm still not willing to surrender. So I'm confronted with our text today. 
by my youth pastor. He shares this with me. And, you know, just like Noah's family was saved through a boat in water, so God in Christ saves you in baptism through water. That's the analogy that Peter is making here. And here were my arguments against it. First, I would say, well, yes, the text, text technically says baptism saves. Okay, fine, fair enough. But right after, Peter makes it very clear that it's not as a removal of dirt from the body. So that implies he's not speaking of water baptism, but maybe of spirit baptism. So that was, that was sort of where I went. But then you have to ask the question, well, is there really two different baptisms? I mean, as a matter of fact, Ephesians 4 or 5 tells us that there's only one baptism and that every baptism recorded in the New Testament is a, indeed, water baptism. That water and the Spirit are connected all the time throughout Scripture. Also, we have to remember who Peter is writing to here. If there was one thing converted Jews may have been tempted to view baptism as, it was another ceremonial washing like they had grown so accustomed to. And oftentimes, the Pharisees would do all the proper Jewish washing externally, but it'd become mere ritual, not something done out of a worshipful heart to God. And so when Peter says it's not as a removal of dirt from the body, he is not making any statement against water baptism or for spirit baptism as, this, as if there is a distinction made in Scripture. But rather, he's making sure people understand that, uh, quote, it is an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, that the work God does through the water baptism is internal. It's not the external washing, but it's the washing of the heart. Nevertheless, I remember challenging my youth pastor uh, with this part of the verse too, using it as an objection to baptismal regeneration. And basically it went like this. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. It is something that we're doing for God as a pledge. That's the language that, that some translations use. I think it's an unfortunate rendering myself, but uh, it's a pledge for a good conscience. So baptism then is just a means of me being obedient, responding to the grace of God I've already received. That is, by the way, probably the majority view of baptism in America. Baptism, an outward sign of an inward change. But there was a problem with that. Because if we read the last part of this verse carefully, it goes so much deeper than that. Baptism isn't really about us doing anything at all. Look again, it's an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's only through the resurrection of Jesus that we have a good conscience at all. Because he rose, we are clear, clean, holy, righteous, perfect, victorious, justified, to use Scripture's language. So I said to this, okay, fine, but still, only through the resurrection of Jesus, not through just sprinkling water on me. The response I got to that objection affirmed that indeed it was through the resurrection alone and not by a mere ceremony. But then the killer challenge came to me. Where did Scripture say we receive this resurrection? Well, my pastor brought me to Romans 6, where Paul says this in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Did you catch that? Turns out, baptism is the place that God kills us and makes us alive. It's there in the flood of Noah's day that death came to so many, but it was also through that flood that humanity went on to live. And so Peter is saying, so too in baptism, there you're crucified, you die to yourself, to your flesh, but you are also raised up with Christ. There in those waters, God is doing the saving. As Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 29 say, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But you see where that covering, that putting on of Christ happens? In baptism. And so, eventually, after still kicking for a while and still trying to find my way around, these texts that I had been exposed to eventually seemed too clear for me to fight it anymore. Lutheranism's view of baptism, or the idea that baptism saves, uh, was winning me over. Now, that didn't mean that, it was, that baptism was the only way that God brings salvation. Absolutely not. Salvation comes by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. It is just one of the means by which God delivers the goods. That faith is created through his word alone. We still, we still affirm all of that. As a matter of fact, you know, we were the ones who got that ball rolling with, the whole, with all the solas during the Reformation. So there's no lack of affirmation of those things. But again, does scripture say that baptism is one of the vehicles by which God delivers the gift of Christ to us? And I came to a place where I said, yes, I just have to deal with the language as it is. Now, I, I, one other thing, and one, this is one last thing, and then I'll let you go for the day. Um, <clears throat> the other thing that was persuasive to me, and I mean, I'm just telling you, I was not raised in any sort of Lutheran-ism at all. I just had no background in it. Is when I went and listened to the explanations of texts like the ones before us today from... Bible teachers that I normally would hear very straightforward explanations from. I mean, these are guys that absolutely heralded the word, would hold it up above all things, and would translate every word from the Greek so that they could be precisely accurate. When I heard them come to this passage in 1 Peter 3, I, it was like a whole different Bible teacher. It was like I would hear twisting and turning and, and discomfort. And it, it was so evident to me, like, okay, this, Pete, this teacher realizes that, yes, the, the passage does say baptism saves. But their theology won't allow it. Their theology won't allow that. And so they have to kind of figure out a way to explain it away. And that was very persuasive to me, too, because I, I thought, okay, this seems to be exactly what Scripture is saying and being presented with by my youth pastor here they are not presenting it just as it is. And so 
So anyhow, that's just my story. That's how I came to see that baptism saves. I hope that helps you. I hope that that encourages you. Um, And I hope that you look to your baptism today as a means of assurance. It's a gift. It is a gift. God is doing the verbs. He's placed his name on you, and he's promised to continue the good work that he began in you on that day. Have a great week. God bless.